Section 1 of G. K. Chesterton in America, a Catholic Review of the Week. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Logan Prince. G. K. Chesterton in America, a Catholic Review of the Week by G. K. Chesterton. The End of Socialism. In discussing the end of socialism, do not let us play with words, or the words will play with us. What is important is not what the word means, but what we mean. The word socialist can be used, in France it is used, as meaning anyone who thinks the whole capitalist system incurably bad, and wants some other system of greater economic equality. If that is being a socialist, my brother is still a socialist, and I am still a socialist. But if socialism means giving all the means of production and distribution to that group or system, call it what you will, which does control the police and the post office, then I do not believe he is a socialist any more than I am, and I believe that nearly all the ablest socialists are socialists no longer. When brothers are in the House of Commons, apparently it is etiquette for them to disagree in politics but agree in finance. My own family relations are of a more old-fashioned sort. I know less, if possible, of my brother's finances than of my own, but I think I know his convictions, and I think that on this point there is very little between us. What strikes me as queerest about this controversy is this, that the new argument for socialism is exactly the same as the old argument against socialism. When I was a socialist, it was the whole capitalist game to say, you can't have socialism until you've altered human nature. And it was our whole socialist game to explain to the capitalist, with mingled tenderness and truth, that he was a jackass. Because the improvement proposed by the socialist, right or wrong, did not in the least depend on any change in human nature. It depended on an unchangeable fact in human nature, which anybody can find out by dealing a pack of cards. If you wish to distribute pennies, or any other form of property, on an equal system, or any kind of system, you most certainly can do it more rapidly and correctly if you do it from one center. That argument still remains, and is still unanswerably true as far as it goes. But there is a further argument. I take it that the point we raise in the matter is simply this, that cards do not deal themselves, that wages do not distribute themselves. Some person and persons, a small minority at the best, must at least temporarily hold all the wealth and, what is perhaps almost more important, all the special information about the wealth. And the plain query is, can we, knowing what men are, and especially what politicians are, so put our trust in princes or in any child of man? Our present state is doubtless an exceptionally degraded parody of democracy, but have even the healthiest and most active democracies ever been able to control their government quite so promptly and delicately as to prevent it abusing a power so instant and overwhelming? Or what is to prevent the politicians cheating us in a hundred hidden ways, deceiving us about what wages they can afford as they do about what taxes we can afford, bamboozling us with the necessity of vast expenses as they do now about the necessity of vast salaries? What is to prevent the politicians giving us a sham economic equality exactly as they already give us a sham political equality? To this perfectly rational question, the socialists hostile to us reply with the old argument of the anti-socialists, that there must be a change in human nature. They will reply that my brother's politicians are conceived on present-day lines, or as I should say, on human lines. They say that my brother does not see the 
politico-economic-psychic development making a beeline. I dare say he does not. I am glad that no such fatality has befallen my family. It must be a horrid sight. But in somewhat simpler English, the answer evidently means that before we get socialism, we shall somehow get much nicer statesmen to administer socialism. I respect faith wherever I find it, but I really cannot see why the souls of politicians should alone be miraculously saved. Why should I not say that all England be put under martial law, that rapid and efficient system, and then say that soldiers a hundred years hence will not be conceived on present-day lines? I defy anyone to say that he has not known more honest men who have grown old in the army than in Parliament. Why should I not simply say that soldiers will improve as the socialists say that politicians will improve? Only because there happens to be no earthly reason for saying it of either of the two. Is it conceivable that these socialist dupes of progress and evolution do not see that they are walking into the capitalist's jaws? Cannot they see that he has only to answer, I'm glad there will be a politico-economic psychic development. Please let me know. When a starry scorn of wealth begins to shine in Mr. Samuel's and Mr. Gluckstein's eyes, I shall know that socialism is coming. When an unworldly wish to waste himself for the poor is seen to be torturing Mr. Austin Chamberlain, I shall give up money myself. Meanwhile, you make a beeline for the factory at $4 a week. The Hooters going. End of section one. Read by Logan Prince, Minneapolis, Minnesota.